Welcome to this episode of Focus Points. This is a series intended to help us as a church better understand our Bible as we read through the Bible together this year. We're going to look at one book of the Bible each episode and try to answer one basic question. What do I need to know in order to get more out of reading this book? So, let's get started. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. And immediately all God's people said, Yes, we're into the New Testament, finally. Yes, it is good to be here. So we're here in the very first gospel that forms the transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but you wonder, why was Matthew put first? And while there might be reasons as far as when it was written and who it was written by, I think the Holy Spirit providentially worked in the people who organized the canon of the New Testament to put this one first, because Matthew really does bridge the gap. So when you think of the book of Matthew, I want you to think of three words real quick. First of all is fulfillment. That it might be fulfilled, or some variation of that phrase, occurs in 11 passages, which means Matthew is constantly looking at the ministry of the Messiah and looking back at the Old Testament and say, do you see? This was promised back there. So Matthew is a gospel of fulfillment. That doesn't mean that the other Gospels don't have those things, but Matthew, that's a key trait. Matthew is also a Gospel of inauguration, meaning it starts. It starts a new era. It's not Old Testament. This is New Testament now. And how God is dealing with people, the scope of people that God is dealing with is changing, and Matthew starts off that change and inaugurates. It's also a time of transition, a Gospel of transition. And although Matthew has a highly Jewish flavor, and that Jewish people were probably his primary audience when he wrote the gospel, Matthew also has a strong focus on the good news that Jesus Christ came as Savior to the Gentiles too. And we're going to see that in a little bit. So Matthew, it's a book of fulfillment, inauguration, and transition. So who wrote it? Well, Matthew did, or also called Levi, the tax collector. Matthew gives his personal testimony in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And this testimony is repeated, I think, in two of the other Gospels. But I think it's interesting that Matthew's not, even though he wrote this Gospel, he's not trying to hide his background at all. He knows that he was somebody who the Jews would not have liked. He knows that he was a sinner who needed to be saved and to follow his Messiah. And so I think... Uh, at the end of his personal testimony there in chapter 9, Jesus says this to the Pharisees, I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I can just imagine Matthew, as he's writing down these words, recalling what Jesus has said, he mutters underneath his breath, yes, Jesus came and called a sinner named Levi. This is me that he came to save. So Matthew's the one who wrote this book. What is the theme? What is the theme of the book of Matthew? I think we could summarize it like this. Jesus, the king of the Jews, came as the savior for Jews and Gentiles. That is, Jesus, the king of the Jews, came as the savior for Jews and Gentiles. Now, how do we see that theme work its way out in the book? Well, we see it in several key points. First of all, Jesus is king. He has ultimate authority. In fact, that word authority and power, it's going to show up several times. Uh, in Matthew 7, verse 29, it says that Jesus has authority in his words. In uh, chapter 9, verse 6, he has authority in his works. 
in chapter 10, verse 1, he gives his authority to his followers so that they might go out and do his work. In chapter 21, the Pharisees question his authority, his, his power, and his, um, his rights to exercise that power. But it's interesting that when his authority as king, his authority as the ruler of the universe is questioned, there are consequences to that. So when people respond well to his authority, he teaches them. When people don't, he starts to veil the truth. So Matthew 13, as soon as in Matthew 12, people started to question his ministry, Jesus now starts people started to question his ministry, Jesus now starts to speak to them in parables. He's veiling his truth. In Matthew 14 through 17, after continued opposition to his authority, he starts to narrow his ministry to that of his disciples. So Jesus is king because he has ultimate authority. But it's interesting who he has authority over as king. Jesus is king of the Jews. We see this first in the genealogy in Matthew 1, and we're going to have more to say about that in a side note. That's coming out soon. But Jesus is, he descends racially from Abraham, but he descends royally from David. And David's place in the genealogy, which is right in the middle of it, makes him the center and focus of it. In fact, Matthew contains 17 references to David when David is mentioned in the other three Gospels only uh, 22 times. We see this idea of Jesus as king of the Jews in the narratives of the Magi coming. They came searching for the person who was born king of the Jews. And this idea of king or kingdom, over 70 times it appears in the book of Matthew. The next highest gospel only has it at 48 times. Matthew 27, 37, the plaque that Pilate puts over the cross of Christ. Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was completely accurate. That's how the entire book of Matthew, that's what Matthew's trying to teach us. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He has this authority over them. But not only that, he is also the king of the Gentiles. Yes, Matthew's a, a book written to Jews about their Messiah, but no other gospel has such a Gentile focus as the book of Matthew. You think of the end of Matthew. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power or authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And what comes next? Now go and give the gospels to all nations, not Jews who are living in all the scatter, scattered living in all these nations, but to all people in all nations. Christ is making a claim of kingship over the entire universe. And we see this Gentile focus, this kingship over everyone. It starts off in the genealogy. Implicitly, it's silent with all these Gentiles that are in the line of Christ. But by the end of the book, it's explicit. This is the Great Commission. And what better way to argue that God's plan for the New Testament era includes Gentiles than to slowly make that transition from implying it to then stating it in the beginning, to then stating it explicitly in the end. And it should make sense to us, because even in the Old Testament, God had his eye on the Gentiles, and he wanted Israel to be his light and his testimony to them. That's why in Exodus 19.6, he says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests to whom? 
not for his own purpose as far as they are serving God, but they are among the other nations acting like the mediator between the other nations and Jehovah God. So we have this first key point. Jesus is king. He has authority. He has authority over the Jews, and he has authority over the Gentiles. And he, as king, calls all men to submit and to worship him. That's what the second point is. Jesus calls all men to submit and worship him. Submit to his teaching, first of all. Jesus teaches more in Matthew than I think he does in any other of the Gospels. In fact, five major sermons are recorded in Matthews, and he's giving them instruction on how they need to respond to him as king and how they need to live in his kingdom. That's, the, that's what his teaching is geared towards. You want to know what you should be living like in the kingdom of God? You need to be doing this. You think of how he starts off the Sermon on the Mountain in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's describing what it's like to be a citizen of this kingdom. So Jesus calls men to submit to his teaching. Jesus calls men to worship him. This concept of worshiping this Messiah comes up more times in Matthew than in any other books. That's what the Magi came to do. They came and they wanted to worship him. And both of these, submission to his teaching and then following his teaching because of that, and worshiping him as the king of all the universe, these are the, these are the appropriate applications to his position as king and to the authority that he has. So as you read the book of Matthew, ask yourself, how does this show Christ's position as king or his authority as king? Second, what does this passage teach me about responding to Christ's authority? What instructions are being given about living in his kingdom? And then third, how can I know my Savior better because of this passage? Realize the Gospels give us a look at who Jesus is and what he did that no other part of Scripture does. Yes, the epistles tell us Jesus did this, but the Gospels show us. So in Matthew, don't miss the opportunity to look at your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and just wonder at everything that he's doing, that he's saying, and that he is. I hope that you will be greatly encouraged and challenged and blessed as you read the book of Matthew this year.